Hello, fantasy and adventure fans. My name is Jess, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. You've been listening to Contest of Queens by Jordan Bartlett, whose audiobook won a silver medal in the IPPY Awards in the fiction category, and which YA Book Central describes as a story you can fall into and not come up for air for hours. Today we have Jordan, the author, with us here for a virtual interview, and I'm so excited to chat with her. Jordan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat. (laughs) Me too. This is, we've already been having so much fun just chatting before we started recording. And now you guys will get to be privy to some of what our conversation has been. Uh, But why don't we get started, Jordan, with you telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm a Canadian Kiwi, a Kiwi, if you will. So I was (laughs) born and raised in New Zealand. I was born and raised in New Zealand, and I moved to Canada when I was about 18 and lived most of my adult life in Canada. But now I'm in the UK, in Edinburgh, Scotland, and I'm taking this time to write the third book in the trilogy, Contest of Queens, uh, Queen's Catacombs, and the mysteriously titled third book. I, When I'm not uh, taking a year off my life, I... I'm a speech language pathologist in Banff, Alberta, and a registered yoga instructor. Oh my gosh. Wow. So well-rounded. You're doing all of the things. <laughs> that is so cool. So you said that you're, you were born and raised in New Zealand. That's so neat. I mm. mean, what made you move to Canada? Also, I'm sure you're probably tired of hearing this, but you have no New Zealand accent. So that is so wild. <laughs> you it's say so that, like, brutal because... <laughs> No one believes me. I actually remember one time I had to show someone my passport as proof that I was from New Zealand because they just wouldn't accept that my accent was so different. Uh, yeah, I so yeah, moved to Canada when I was 18 with the whole family. Basically, I graduated high school and my dad's a Canadian, my mom's a Kiwi. And I love that you call I, yourself sh- a Kiwi too. <laughs> A kiwi. <laughs> That's like the true New Zealand thing to do. <laughs> yeah, you know, the little brown birds. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So funny. But no, I, I'm sure there was a lot more thought on my parents' uh, side behind it. But what I remember is basically mom and dad sitting my brother and I down saying we could either stay in New Zealand for the next 20 years and it would look exactly the same as it is now or we could try something different and move to Canada. And both my brother and I were like, okay. And that's the story of why we moved. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, <laughs> I I really love that. It, it sounds like your whole life is just, let's see where this adventure takes me. Because now you're in the UK, you said, and have been doing this amazing, um, just let me spend a year sitting on the beach and writing kind of adventure, which is so, so cool. Oh, and it's been, it's been, I don't even know what adjective to use. It's just been life-changing. The, I don't know, the culture in the UK is so inspiring. And I think it's because it's where all my favorite stories came from. You know, like Winnie the Pooh, Peter Pan, Harry Potter, all of these incredible stories came from here. And so you're kind of hanging out 
where your favorite authors used to hang out. It's yes. just wonderful. Oh, I love that so much. So speaking of authors and your favorite authors, um, you have this wonderful book that we've all been listening to. And I would just love to know. So, I mean, I have so many questions for you, but I will start with what is your connection to fantasy the, or this genre? Because it's got obviously very heavy fantasy, but adventure elements. Did you grow up reading those in New Zealand or um, do you just enjoy that genre for yourself as an adult? Fantasy. I just I grew up reading fantasy. I mean, my parents read a lot to me growing up as well. My papa, my granddad, he would tell us, oh, he did a really good rendition of Jack and the Beanstalk. It's actually uh, the dedication for Countess of Queens is for my papa because he passed before it was able to come out. And he had this way to just kind of captivate you with his words. I mean, he was the giant. He was the... um, he was Jack screaming, get me an axe. <laughs> so I think all my life, I really grew up loving fantasy, reading fantasy. I'm going to butcher a C.S. Lewis quote when I say, uh, if I find in myself desires, nothing in this world can satisfy, then I can only conclude I wasn't made for here. Mm-hmm. I think that really captures it perfectly where fantasy just gives you that next level of kind of magic and wonder that especially if you're kind of an awkward teenager and you're going through harder times at school it's just this really safe kind of cozy blanket of a place to escape to yeah I think fantasy's huge in my life wow I love that story (laughs) and I love the story about your grandfather reading to you or or maybe not even reading to you but just redoing the dramatic retellings of the stories that's so special and cool so are being that this was I don't want to say for him but but you know inspired by your relationship with him do you feel like any of your characters are inspired by uh people from your real life any of the well I guess not the events so much but uh any of the lore inspired by something that maybe he told you Actually, that's a really good question because this book started as an idea when I was about 15. And when I was 15, it was very different. It was a Jack and the Beanstalk retelling. And it was so full of teen angst. It will never see the light of day because little little teenage Jordan had a lot of feelings she didn't know what to do with. But uh, (laughs) that's the only thing that really remained from that original idea was the main character's name is Jax. And that idea of the two worlds separated by an impossible cliff. And so I think because, uh, yeah, my my papa was so good at this Jack and the Beanstalk retelling, I always kind of would think about him just because that's felt like where it really, really started. But there are so many pieces throughout the world and throughout the like the characters, the settings that they're just little facets of what I've seen, what I've read, uh, the people I've met. I don't even know where to start. I think I love putting little fun facts that 
I love in the story. So there's a moment where a flock of starlings land on the minute hand of the town clock and set it back five minutes. And that prompts Jax and Master Leshy to have to kind of reconfigure the mechanics of the clock. And that actually happened in London in with Big Ben. A flock of starlings actually did hold the minute hand back and set everything back five minutes. Oh <laughs> so my I just gosh. think that's cool. <laughs> That is so neat. And I love that. I Now that you say it, because I didn't think about it while I was reading the book, but it totally does have that same Jack and the Beanstalk. And I love, I, I mean, I didn't even make the connection. Jack's being like Jack and, you know, the upper realm. I'm honestly a little bit like, hello, duh, having one of those moments where I'm like <laughs> feeling like my eyes just opened for the first time. That is so cool. And yeah, now that you say I see the connections, but of course, obviously you've taken it in your own direction and have been able to do your own thing with it, which is a perfect segue to my next question, which is what was your writing process like? Because it's you've said you've been writing this story or at least iterations of the story since you were 15. And yeah, what was that like to kind of know, okay, here's this inspiration I have that's based in a story, a, a centuries or I don't even know how long it feels like centuries old tale um and I'm going to make this my own and it really give it a spin that makes it something so completely different and unrecognizable I didn't even put together that that was Jack <laughs> in the beanstalk I mean oh like I said I'm having one of those aha moments where it's like oh my gosh hello but yeah what was your writing process like well and I think it is interesting because it has had so many years of like focusing on it but then years where I didn't even think about it so it first started as a point on a bucket list of I think I wrote I mean I love lists I'm that type of person uh but it was about four pages and they're just so satisfying to tick them off oh yeah so number one was to publish a novel and number two was to uh, have coffee with my favorite author at the time. And I honestly thought that the second one would happen well before the first one did. I never had coffee with that author, but uh, I did have this idea, like I, I not only want to write a novel, I want to publish one. So that's when I started writing, again, that very uh, interesting <laughs> retelling of Jack and the Beanstalk. Um, but then... And actually, this is, I will not say any names because I don't want anyone to look poorly from this story. But I went for a four-day hike in New Zealand with my partner at the time. And four days of hiking is fine when you're able to chat with your walking buddy. But I found out on that hike that he was a lot faster than I was and oh. he didn't like to wait. So... <laughs> So I would see the back of him for about four days. And I thought, well, I need, I don't have my music. I don't have anything. I need something to occupy my time with. So I started thinking about the story again and really laying out, okay, beginning, middle, end, who are the characters? How do I want it to be? I didn't want it to be a retelling anymore, but I did want to kind of keep a few elements. Like I said, uh, Jax's name. And then there's in the first chapter, she's, talking about how 
because she's a farmer, she wishes she farmed strawberries instead of beans. And I think that's about uh, as close to a beanstalk saga we get with Contests <laughs> of Queens. So I really spent those four days just living in this story. And I'd call up to my partner and say, does this sound weird? And sometimes he'd answer, sometimes he couldn't hear. But then when we got back to civilization, I got kind of an exercise book, like one of these, just a school notebook. Yeah. And I wrote the outline cover to cover. And from there, I basically just Googled how long is the average novel and I broke that down into how long I wanted to take to write it. And I had a 1600 word limit that I had to hit per day. And I just started writing and it was, I didn't really ever have a moment of, this is too hard, I can't do it. It was more, well, this is my goal. I can take however long I need to get there, but I've lived the story. I know the story kind of almost in my body in my heart yeah so now I just need to put it on paper uh so I I mean I would recommend a four-day hike by <laughs> yourself to write a novel <laughs> yeah oh my gosh well but it, it seemed a bit extreme <laughs> I mean talking about your life being an adventure hello that is so so neat and the fact that you were able to break it down like okay I just need to write this I think anybody can write 1600 words a day if you, you know, really wanted to sit down and do it. So that's so cool and inspirational that you were able to do it that way. And um, I mean, one of the questions that I've been asking some of our people is if you're a planner or a pantser. And it sounds like you're very much a planner, but that the planning came from so much of the story already like being within you. So like pantsed out just through what already exists, like what was in your heart, but planned because you then obviously broke it down and, and had to write the whole outline and write everything else in a very planned manner. I don't know if I'm articulating this in the way that I mean, but it's just very cool that you uh, were able to combine the two strategies of writing in a way that I'd never heard of before. And I really think that goes to show too how everyone's process is just so massively different. Um, so being that everything was so planned out for you, at least in that you had this outline you were working off of, what was the hardest scene for you to write? Oh, and actually I, I do like that. It sounds like I'm a planner. It's interesting <laughs> because like I said, I live the story. I had the outline and I introduced my subplot characters, Lena and Anya, and I introduced Edith, uh, Connor's confidant, and those three factors through the story. So the plot points still remain the same, but I feel like those three women, uh, for the better, probably changed <laughs> changed what I thought the story was going to be. <laughs> yeah, wow. um, but. Yeah, which you, you don't, I think too, when you're planning, I know for me, I just do the main plot line, but then all those little woven in plot lines, they do have the ability to kind of 
shift uh, the story. For a wrench. Yeah, shift the story. Uh, but your original question, can you remind oh, me? Oh, sorry. Um, the hardest question. scene for you to write. But I did love that tangent. Thank you oh. for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> the hardest scene. Oh, that's so tricky. So it's the hardest scene, I think, to get exactly what I wanted across. Sure. Was definitely the scene. Okay, the hardest to write was, and this is going to be a spoiler, but when Jax is in the prison cell. Okay. Because I remember I was in Halifax, which is on the east coast of Canada, and I was in the library. And so it was a very public place. And I had to, because she basically, she's a very logic-driven character, but she's been pushed to a point where she has a panic attack. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of live what that would be like in this very public place. And one of the things that she did to kind of stay grounded in the moment is measure out the dimensions of her cell. So she'll measure like fingers uh, between the bars or... Uh, how many hands high the bed was and so I'm just looking like probably a bit of a weirdo in the corner of this very public library measuring up with my hands and like walking paces in a square to make sure I could get the dimensions that would make sense for herself (laughs) interesting so that one was uh a hard one I think more because where I was wasn't conducive to what I was writing yeah but I think the one scene that I really needed to get right was the scene where Amber and Andromeda are talking about why they don't have men in the military and Jax comes in with a different perspective I I wanted it to feel natural because a lot of what this world is is just the stories that the society run by women have told themselves that either elevates women in certain areas and keeps men out of other areas so I needed it to feel natural but I also needed it to not be too silly sounding so that when the reader is reading it they're like well pff, that's that doesn't make any sense yeah why would they uh, even think because that? exactly it needed to it needed to make sense within the world and Jax needed to have enough kind of critical thinking and past experience to be able to come in and share that new perspective of why those stories that we tell ourselves aren't necessarily true without that feeling too fake. So I feel like that scene, it was just the scene where I really had to balance what was going to sound believable and what was going to just be a bit like eye rolly almost. Sure. Yeah, that does sound mm-hmm. like, like quite a dilemma to try and write too, because I feel like in our brains sometimes like, oh, that makes sense logically. But then being able to verbalize that is just such a different feat. So even just now, mm-hmm. I feel like I am able to conceptually understand what you were saying. But if I were going to repeat your words back to you, I don't think I would be able to just because it's it's one of those concepts that already is is so hard to conceptualize and then to have to put it into words is 
a totally, yeah, totally different challenge. But I do want to go back to, because I just wanted to say how I love that you uh, mapped out with your feet about how large the cell was going to be that she's in. Um, and I love that you keep saying too, that you felt like you lived the story. Uh, and, and that to me just makes that so clear, which reminds me as well, because I was looking on your website and you have a contest of Queens playlist. Is that the playlist you were listening to as you were writing or are these just songs that make you feel like this is what would be the soundtrack of the, uh, of the book? What, what is the playlist for? Oh, and what it kind is... of songs are on it? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it is evidence that I maybe have questionable taste in music. <laughs> Don't we <laughs> no, all? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think it's a mixture. So some of them were songs that I would listen to while writing certain scenes. There's one song that... Uh, I really loved, I think it's called Secret Worlds by the Amazing Devils. And, oh no, sorry, it's Ink Pop Gods by them. And there's a line that it's, um, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher this one too. But it's basically, uh, you might not fear a man, but to a woman by the end, you'll kneel and plead. And so that kind of like, oh yeah, women, you know, that was really important, especially when I was writing more the scenes where, you know, the uh, characters in the military were doing things or even just uh, the earlier scenes with the queen where she had to kind of be everything. She had to be perfect and beautiful, but also powerful and uh, astute and all of these things. So yeah, that song was very important. And then there were, I mean, Taylor Swift, uh, if I were the man, that one is very important because that kind of summed up the feeling I had that then drove me to write a book set in a matriarchal queendom. Mm -hmm. uh, because, I don't know, it can be so frustrating, especially uh, kind of growing up and realizing you have this moment of realization that nothing is different between you and a male counterpart except that you're a woman and somehow that changes everything in certain situations right so that song was really important uh and then I think there's just fun ones like there's message in a bottle by the police because Connor puts a message in a bottle right. <laughs> and, you know yeah um yeah and there's a hot air balloon song, obviously, because for obvious uh, reasons. Yeah. <laughs> for obvious reasons, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a it's an eclectic mix, but uh, there's definitely a method to my madness, and I would recommend watch listening to it from beginning to end without shuffling. Oh, good to know. So for our listeners <laughs> out there who check it out, make sure you do it in order, which honestly I love that. Yes. I have a friend who's also a writer, actually. Now that I think about it, she's always sending me playlists and she's always saying listen to it from beginning to end and I'm a big shuffle person so I'm like all right I guess I'll do it in order but it always is like oh I see why she told me to listen to it from beginning to end because even the songs tell the story but I want to go back to um you were talking about um how important some of these songs were in your inspiration to flip 
the patriarchy into a matriarchy and the tones of female empowerment are so strong in your book, obviously. So uh, I'm just curious what that means, what female empowerment means to you. Um, if there are any sort of experiences that you have that you want to share with us. I just, I am someone who that's particularly important to me as well. So I just love hearing stories of people who are really passionate about that topic. Where do I start? That's <laughs> such a good question. Uh, I think the biggest thing I know I wanted to get across with this novel was not that, because, you know, as a girl, you're always like, oh, if women ran the world, there would never be wars and everything would be peaceful and wonderful. But that's not true because at the end of the day, people are people are people. Power will just as readily corrupt a woman as it would a man. And I think people, regardless of their gender, will have the great capacity for kindness and willingness to do the right thing. So what I really wanted to do was rather than just say, okay, all the women, oh, sorry, all the men are women now, and that's how my world runs, is think about, well, if women were the power majority, what would that look like? And how would that change this? I think I mentioned before, the stories we tell ourselves to keep people in power and the stories we tell ourselves to keep people small. So for and for things like the military, on average, and here I'm going to be sweeping with big, big brushes, so know that everything I'm saying is a generalization, but sure. on average, women are physically weaker than men. But if they're running the military, what would that look like? And I love the idea of uh, women working in, like, really in unison pairs, because you can... There's a lot of uh, martial arts out there like Aikido. Mm -hmm. I watched, I love Avatar The Last Airbender. So I watched a lot of like the Kyoshi Warriors and Tai Li and how they moved. And uh, Terrier by Tamora Pierce. That novel was incredible, in, incredibly inspiring for how I shaped the military of we've got these two women and they fight in a pair and they use their speed, agility, and their opponents. Uh, weight against them to be a formidable force right so because then you have this idea of well for the longest time in our world men were the ones you know who were the firefighters but that doesn't mean we can't have women firefighters we just need to change how we exactly yeah, yeah. so um yeah I think I wanted to definitely get across that it's not that everyone needs to be equal because that doesn't make sense given that we are all so different, mm -hmm. but just what we bring to the table needs to be equally valued. And when it's not, you run the risk of alienating and uh, harming large groups of people for no other reason than uh, you're a poop. Uh, <laughs> Gabe, do we need to bleep that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, sorry. No, this I'm, is young adult, I'm, of course. I'm totally I'm kidding. But <laughs> um, even then, because we have characters like Connor, who's he's a prince. He's, you know, as high as a man can get in that queendom, unless he's the king. And he's still, his first thought in the novel is, 
I wish I could be a knight, but that's silly because only women can be knights. So already he's he's got this limitation that we know in our world of is course, ridiculous yeah. because we've we've grown up on male knights. But for him, it's just the story that he's been told. Yeah. Well, I love that idea, too, that you have of what can we bring to the table or women, what can women bring to the table um, in the same setting that will be equally valued and how um, my mom used to say all the time, work smarter, not harder, and how important that is as a woman, too, because like you said, uh, as, as a general as a general thing, not obviously in every single context, uh, women are physically mm-hmm. weaker than men. So being able to use, and I love that you used, I mean, I'm a big fan of Avatar The Last Airbender as well. So all of these kind of modern references to, and, you know, actual martial arts, of course, to frame that uh, and to uh, you basically use it as inspiration for how you wanted your people to do, to be. And I love that you had the, 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 te- the, the pairs, the teams there. That was a lot of fun and just felt like, uh, I mean, truly how I would imagine people who just thought the way that I do anyway, running things, running things is like a, as a unit rather than as mm-hmm. an individual, which feels like an important distinction, um, which speaking of all of the yeah. martial arts and things that you uh, kind of pulled as a reference for your writing, what kind of research did you have to do to inform your story? Oh, so much, especially because I made my own world and I thought that would make things easier because, you know, you make your own world, you do what you want. But right. uh, when you're creating something that has to be believable, you need a lot of foundational pieces. So uh, I did a lot of actually a dear friend of mine, Andrew Martin, who created the map that you see in the front cover of yes, the book. It's so uh, he helped me with. Oh, it's so beautiful. He did such an incredible job. We worked quite closely together on just how geographically it would make sense. And I learned a lot about, you know, how rivers work and how mountains work. And and so then once I had this tangible place that didn't defy physics in some weird way, I could start really putting things in that hopefully didn't defy logic. Uh, I did a lot of research on clocks <laughs> of all sure. things because ja- Jax is an inventor and her biggest invention in the novel, well, one of them is the clock tower in her town. So I actually went to, and this was in 2018, I went to uh, the Greenwich uh, Museum for Time and I got to see where, you know, time zero, the zero line was. And I got to learn all about different ways that people throughout history have created clocks and created ways to keep time. And I didn't know this, but on boats, a pendulum clock doesn't work because the swaying of the boat messes with the pendulum and it throws the clock off. And so then the captain can't use the clock to tell where he is on a map. Interesting. Which blew my mind. So, yeah. Well, I didn't even realize that a captain used a clock to tell where he would be on a map. But that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So, interesting. 
So yeah, I mean, it yeah, sounds it's, like it's a lot of how do figure out either research. Yes, yeah, and uh, like I said, with the combat, I did a lot of research for that, and I think, oh, how aristocracy works, how queen, uh, queens work, how a castle would run, which living in the UK now is really useful, uh, but I wasn't living in the UK then. So I did a lot of uh, YouTube walkthroughs of castles, which I would highly recommend. Glass of wine, some soothing <laughs> music, and a walkthrough of a castle and you can feel like a princess in lockdown. <laughs> that is so fun. I, yeah, I might add that to my to-do list. That sounds like quite a quite an adventure when you can't adventure and again this just lends to the narrative I have of you as someone who just is an adventurer at heart and will go with the flow um I was curious because you just mentioned I mean you'd mentioned before that you were 15 when you wrote your first iteration of the story that will never see the light of day and then you mentioned that you um were you went I forget where you said you went, but you said that in 2018, was it the clock tower you said that you went to, to visit? Oh, to, in 2018? yeah, to uh, Greenwich. Greenwich, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, in 2018, yes, yes. I went to Greenwich and I did about two months where I had a couple weeks in England, a couple weeks in Scotland, a couple weeks in Ireland, oh, and wow. five days in Spain. And I kind of did a, a, a bit of a, holiday really before I moved back to Banff, Alberta got and it. got settled in as a speech language pathologist there. So very yeah. cool. Wow. I mean, again, adventure, traveling, so fun. <laughs> but um, you had mentioned you started writing in, when you were 15, then again, were um, pulling in, you were pulling inspiration from things you were seeing on this trip in 2018. So when you finally mm -hmm. sat, or I guess, you said you started when you were 15, but when you finally sat down and were like, okay, I'm going to write my 1600 words a day. I'm going to write this novel from beginning to end. How long did it take? Because it was published, was it 20, no, it was published in 2022, right? Or is when it became available? Oh, yes. It was published this year. This year. Which right. feels wild to me because there's been so much that's happened. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it, it came out 2022. It got accepted because uh, I remember, the year before. yeah, I remember it being one of the first books that um, once I was with Camp Cat, we put out and I was like, oh, okay, this is one of our books now. <laughs> this is uh, how we put out a book is, is we go through this process that we're doing with Contest of Queens. So it must have been 2022. Yeah, which it seems so wild because it probably took me and there was a six month stint where I didn't touch the book at all. I think I had a lot of kind of life happened but I think all up it took me a year and a half to write okay. the first manuscript and then it took a year and 10 months not that I was counting from when I first started sending out pitches to agents and publishers to when it got picked up by CamCat. Oh interesting. Uh, it's which is so wild how time just flies. <laughs> Yeah, really. Well, especially, you know, thinking of on a grand world scale too, being at the end of 2022 and it feels like just yesterday we were just starting. So the fact that um, there's that saying, and I will probably butcher it, but um, how you shouldn't wait to do things because the time is going to pass anyway. So you might as well 
do it now, even if it's going to take a long time, because at some point you'll be, you know, two, three years or a year and 10 months down the line being so grateful that you started a year and 10 months ago. Um, so it, I think it really goes to show that that is such a, um, a, a real thing, like a real statement, you know, and time does feel like it, it totally flies. And next thing you know, we're here interviewing you about this book that you not only have now, but you have, uh, the sequel coming out very soon, which this interview will be released, I believe in February of next year. So we'll be pretty close to the release of Queen's Catacombs. What can you tell us about that? Which is so wild. Yes. So Queen's Catacombs, it is, I actually, I mean, obviously I love Contest of Queens and, and all of my heart and soul went into it. But the um, the sequel, I think it just, it feels a little bit more cohesive. All of the characters who have been separated in the first novel are now together. And what does that look like? So the first novel is all about what does it mean to be queen and how can we prove ourselves worthy of being queen? And then once that queen is decided, well, that's not where the story stops because the queendom has an underlying corruption that needs to be identified and potentially dealt with. There's a lot of interpersonal things that come up because Jax really is a fish out of water, but also her mother and her mentor, Master Leshy, they, and this is a spoiler. All right. Spoiler. They have, yeah, (laughs) spoiler. (laughs) Um, They have gone missing and Jax has to find them. So she's got this very personal goal, but also she has the very public goal of I need to make good on my word and I need to help give my people a voice uh, who are more and more worse off uh, than they were before the queen was decided. So yeah, I love the second one. I'm so excited for people to read it. Yes, I'm so excited for it to come out. I actually, being that we're recording this in uh, December of 2022, uh, just actually purchased the book from CamCat so that we, I can give it to a friend who I know is going to love the first one. And she's going, she's also the kind of person who like will get so excited about it that she'll have to read the second one. So I'm excited that the second one is coming out soon after I'm giving it to her so that um, it'll be there for her for when she's craving the next one so that's very very exciting for me as someone who loves to give my (laughs) friends things that they're going to get excited about I know she's going to love this one so much um I am going to shift gears just a little bit because I have one more big question that I wanted to ask that's not really related to anything we've been talking about before we kind of do the um the wrap-up questions but um we have been all listening to the audiobook of your book and being that this is a story that has been Again, you said you lived the story. It's been a part of your life for your whole life, being that your grandfather would tell you the story of Jack and the Beanstalk when you were a kid. What um, what was it like listening to the audiobook for the first time of your book and hearing your own words, your own story, or even, I guess, 
this story that you've been told through this similar like speaking to you medium if that makes sense like you've heard the story before Mm. by actually hearing it um from your family and then now you get to hear your own words read back to you what was that experience like for you it was so nice it was (laughs) and nice is a really nothing word it was surreal it was it was wonderful because it just brought this richness to words that I had put on paper. And I love that she did the voices. She does incredible voices for the young versions of Jax and Connor. But then when they grow up, she gives them that vocal maturity, if that's the technical term. Right. And her ability to keep the same voice per character was wonderful. I, it was better than I could have ever imagined. And it's so funny because when I tell people that it, it comes in audiobook form, they're like, Oh, did you do it? Like, no. Oh, gosh, gosh, no, no, no. Because I, I couldn't make it sound half as good as she did. She, yeah. Carissa Baca did an incredible, incredible job. Yes. Well, you know, what's so funny is a lot of people ask me, um, because I obviously get so excited about my work that I'm like, oh, you have to listen to this audiobook. And so, or I'll show like a little snippet, like, oh, isn't this just so well written? Isn't this just so well said? Da da da. And uh, my friends will be like, oh my gosh, wow, that author has an amazing voice. Is it like a prerequisite before you publish anything to have an amazing voice? And I have to say, well, kind of yes, but also that's not them <laughs> reading the reading their own story. Um, so yes, it is so funny that so many people think, oh, is that the author who's reading the audiobook when often on our side, on the production side, there's so many auditions and all of these things going on in the behind the scenes where, yeah, we end up with a totally different person doing the narration. Uh, do we have, Gabe, I don't even think, I, I mean, I if we do, I haven't heard it yet. Do we have any of our books or is that a thing that the authors read the audiobook for the track? No, Gabe is shaking his head no. So it's not a thing. <laughs> Uh, which honestly, the voice actors are so talented. I couldn't, sometimes I just couldn't even imagine it being anybody else's voice. Um, but I love that your experience with it was so positive and that you were able to feel like the voice narration, I was going to say voice actor, which I guess is true too. The voice actor, the narrator, uh, did your characters such Mm -hmm. justice because I think that that's something that really brings a story to life is when, uh, you can listen to it and feel so immersed in the world. And I'm not sure if this is the same for everyone, but when we were choosing the audiobook narrator, uh, CamCat gave five options and it was five different women and they all recorded the same section of uh, the novel. And it was really fun because uh, me, my mom, my dad, and my brother, I gave everyone a pad and pencil and we would listen to each one kind of like a wine tasting, but instead of, you know, a voice the tasting. <laughs> notes. Yeah, a voice tasting. So we would all kind of write the numbers of which voice we liked better, which one uh, not so much. There was one where my mom was quite adamant, like big crosses. <laughs> not that one, definitely not that one. And it was just really lovely because we all decided on the same voice actress, oh, wow. voice actor, sorry, for 
kind of without seeing anyone else's notes, we were all like, definitely that one. Like she just had something about her voice that really clicked. That's so awesome. I love that. And I love that you got your whole family involved too. It sounds like you guys are so close. That's so fun. Yeah. So before we start wrapping up, um, I've got my two kind of wrap up questions. And the first one is what are you reading right now? Oh, actually, I have it on my nightstand right here. And I'm reading The Power by Naomi Alderman. It was a huge inspiration for Contest of Queens. And I've just come back around because I'm writing the finale and I need uh, a bit more um, kind of you can do this mojo. But <laughs> it's phenomenal. It's, it's about it's a little bit more brutal and intense than Contest of Queens is. But I think reading hers where uh, the premise is that overnight women are able to electrocute people by touching them. And so the power shifts very quickly between men and women. And so reading her novel and getting a sense of how extreme she pushed it gave me the courage to push some of the things I wanted to do a little further. I don't have nearly as much violence or uh, intensity in mind because it's young adult and I wanted to make more uh, fluffier points. But sure. <laughs> if you've not read it, it's oh, it's just phenomenal. It's very well done. Wow. Oh, that sounds really cool. Well, that's fun. I'll definitely have to add that to my <laughs> uh, to my list of books that I am reading because I really did love your book. So I like the idea of turning the patriarchy on its head a little bit. That's a fun concept to me. (laughs) And before we sign off, where can we find you? Why don't you plug yourself? Sure. So I am most active social media wise on Instagram, which is at Jordan H. Bartlett. My website is www.jordanhbartlett.com. there you'll find updates about uh especially my travels i'll put out a newsletter every month and i have an interview with an author i have notes on my recent travels and uh updates on what's happening with my novels there i think those are the major ones though just the website and the instagram yes and the website is honestly really great super comprehensive and just set up really nicely. I know I did a little bit of research on you before I interview by going on your website and it was very nice in a very stalkery way, but I promise it was work related. <laughs> um, well, Jordan. Thank you. That's so lovely. <laughs> of course. And thank you. Thank you so much for coming on with us. This has been so much fun. This has been so lovely. Thank you so much for taking the time. And it's just so cool seeing you sitting there with my book right there. Yeah. I know it it was very fun and it's been very fun to now have my own copy because this is the studio's copy, our our little setups copy, and I have my own copy. And like I said, I just bought one for my friend. So I feel like I'm constantly getting to see, I mean, also this beautiful artwork. I think it's Marianne's work, right? Oh, yeah. She's amazing. She just is a miracle worker. It's beautiful. And Jordan, thank you so much for coming on with us. And thank you for writing this lovely book. And to the listeners at home, you can find Contest of Queens and soon to be its sequel, Queens Catacombs, on our website, camcatbooks.com, in audiobook, ebook, and print formats. 
You can listen to CamCat Unwrapped on all major podcasting platforms or watch us on our YouTube channel. And you can find us on social media at CamCatBooks. Thank you all so much for tuning in with me and unwrapping another one of our books to live in. My name is Jess, and I'll see you next time here on CamCat Unwrapped.